Howdy, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Uh, Tyler, I still haven't listened to last week's main episode that you did. Um, Were you ever going to? <laughs> no, I haven't listened to uh, almost any of the ones where, yeah. that I wasn't on. I like to uh, believe or any of the ones the, that I am on. I like to believe that the podcast just uh, ceases to exist when I'm not around. <laughs> and in your case, the website kind of does. Um, um, but. <laughs> anyway, so I don't know uh, what you guys have talked about. It's been a it's been a crazy uh, week, but. Um, since the last time you and I recorded, mm-hmm. um, the Las Vegas shooting happened. Um, There's a lot of stuff that happened uh, it, since you and I last recorded. Yeah. I think. Sure. Yeah. Tom Petty, uh, rest in peace. Tom Petty um, and all these uh, all this Weinstein stuff. Oh yeah, we will we will find a time to get into the Weinstein. Yes, thing. Indeed, um, we'll see. Um, but uh, I just want to, you know, but I, I, I just want to say that I. You know, I'm a big fan of Las Vegas, um, and uh, my 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 heart goes out, and I yeah. hope uh, other people do, do too, and uh, including your heart. You know, your your money. People need uh, their relief funds and yeah. and all sorts of things. This has been my my thing since Donald Trump won the presidency. Okay, was like, what did I not do enough of? And maybe I was like, maybe I didn't give enough money because sure. money, you know. Money talks. Money gets things done. And also, this also ties in with my having seen, this is like two years ago, almost two years ago now, uh, an episode of Adam Ruins Everything about right. Adam Ruins Giving. Did you see that one? Uh, I th- think I did. I've watched it, most of them. And he talks about the idea that, like, for a food drive, you can go to a grocery store and buy a bunch of cans of food mm-hmm. and give them to uh, a, a, a food bank mm-hmm. and that's good. They need that. Yeah. But if you take the same amount of money that you spend on the can- cans of good food and give it directly to the food bank, they a have a better idea of what they need and B have relationships with distributors that get them bigger discounts than you're getting at the grocery store. Nice. So you're, you know, in <laughs> It makes people feel good to do something, but money gets more shit done. Right, well, so that's been my sort of thing since since no, last November. It's been like I've tried yeah. to set aside a certain amount of money. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to call it uh, tithing, but uh, yeah. a certain amount of money every month that is like this is earmarked for 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 charity or for causes that right. I believe in, and, and so that's what I that's what I want to see. And I don't want to sit here and. I mean, I, you know, you and I have talked about, uh, gun control with ourselves and with, Mm -hmm. with guests. And I, you know, I think that's definitely, you know, a worthy conversation to have, but what I want to, my reaction to every one of these, every awful thing from, uh, you know, a man-made thing like Las Vegas to a natural disaster like Hurricane Harvey or, um, Hurricane Irma in, in Puerto Rico and, and, um, St. Croix and other places like that. Yeah, is like, where can I direct my money most usefully? (laughs) Here's how (sighs) cynical I am at the moment. Um, Obviously, I'm sad that Tom Petty died. Uh But I was also very aware that when he died, I was like, this is going to be the headline now. And it's not that, and it wasn't that long after Vegas. No, it wasn't at all. And I, and sure enough, it did become the headline. And you, I saw a lot more people posting on Facebook about his loss. And of course he was fairly young and he did have a big impact on, on me and a lot of people of a certain generation, uh, music, probably a couple generations musically, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But at the same time I did have this thought, it's like, it's tragic. Yes. Not as tragic. And like, maybe let's, 
keep this going for a while. Yeah. Well, luckily, uh, for such me, is the nature of, of the, yeah. the news cycle and such. Um, for uh, hockey fans for this corner of the world, um, this is the first season that just started that Las Vegas has its own NHL team. Oh, okay. And just last night or two nights ago, they had their home opener. They'd opened the season with two road games. They had their first home game mm-hmm. uh, ever, and they started it with uh, a speech from one of the players who was actually a Las Vegas native, mm-hmm. uh, and then 58 seconds of silence for the 58 nice. uh, uh, dead people. It was a very, uh, very nice uh, way to, 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 to start off a, a season and to, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I, I guess you feel like that, that I'm really glad that Las Vegas has, I mean, I'm selfish that I'm glad they have an NHL team, but in general, sure. I'm glad they have a professional sports team because I feel like that's a big part of a city having its own identity. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's like, whenever people think of Las Vegas, just like when you think of like Branson, Missouri, you think of like going there. Right. You don't really think about people like people live, like it's a, it's a functioning city. It has a mayor, yeah. it has a police force as we've seen, you know, um, it, 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 you know, this is a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a real city. And especially a place like Las Vegas where you just assume it notably doesn't have those things. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, they just kind of take care of themselves. I would assume wink, wink mafia. Yeah. Um, and I, so I think it's, it's, um, you know, this awful thing that has happened has made us, you know, think about Las Vegas and Las Vegans. I don't know actually how, what they're, uh, hmm. Vegasites. I wonder what they call themselves. Um, anyway, uh, it's made me, you know, I think it's made us think of them. Mm-hmm. And I think having, uh, this, uh, a hockey team to rally around and to, you know, form some sort of spine of, of identity yeah. that's not casinos uh, is probably a good thing. Nothing wrong with casinos, by the way. And I do, and I do think that there's. It's weird. I was about to say, like, here's a good thing about it. Obviously, there's nothing good about it. But, it's always um, good to look for, you know, a teaching moment or a silver lining or something like that. The nature of that shooting, as horrible as it was, is that, like. It was this odd bl- at front, like it's in Las Vegas, but because it was at this like country concert, like it was an odd mix of victims. And that did, and of course, yes, it, things got political one way or another very quickly. But I also, just on Facebook, I also saw a lot of outpouring from people like on all sides saying like, I feel so, you know, yes for everyone mm-hmm. saying like, well, these are country fans, you know, they're probably, uh, hate gun control. I guess they're not laughing now. It's like not helpful, not helpful. Yeah. That, that particularly is not helpful. Um, but, uh, but at the same time I do like when just everyone's like, yes, this is human beings are dead and that's a bad thing always. Uh, and whenever, like if it's, if it was like the pulse nightclub, there's always going to be someone out there who just says like, well, I mean, of course that person's a monster, but just like when you make it about one group, but because this was just such an odd mix of everything, mm-hmm. it's everyone. Yeah. 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 And we should move on to talk about movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. I do want to echo something you wrote, uh, 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 a little, some thoughts on the website a couple weeks ago about the national anthem thing, uh, entitled everything is political. Oh yeah. And so yes. that's something that I like, I, now the thing that you just said, like the 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 the, the awful person you uh, came up with just now, you didn't invent. There are people saying yes, these things um, uh, that you know. I, you know, I bet they're whatever now. Like that's awful. But yeah. I don't. But everything is political, and I don't think that something like I'm always suspicious of 
some people who say like, don't rush to politicize something because everything is political. Yeah. I don't begrudge anybody that really. Um, it's, it's more like when something becomes political in a certain way, because political very quickly, especially these days, turns into dehumanizing of someone else. And that's where you get, yeah, that's no good. you know, but I think, you know, advocating for, you know, gun, more gun control or whatever is not, uh, opportunistic. And I think seeing no, it as all. opportunistic is maybe that grosses me out more. Yeah. And um, everybody, everybody's the, does the opportunistic thing, everyone. Yeah. So like, don't act like this is the only group that does. And I'll say this. Okay. We'll move off of Las Vegas. I'll say one thing about the national anthem thing. Cause I haven't said before, okay. which is that as someone who considers myself uh, a patriot and who loves this country, I've always found it kind of vulgar in the first place that, they do the national anthem at a commercial event, like a, like a, you know, a for-profit event, like a sporting event. It feels like these leagues or whatever yeah. and their sponsors or whatever co-opting our patriotism. That's more, that's, that's grosser to me than someone, uh, you know, kneeling and especially when they're kneeling for you know for for a cause they they believe in uh to me that's that's a perfectly uh valid and uh uh, and powerful form of 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 protest but i feel like it's did you know that they play the national anthem at the hollywood bowl um uh, i didn't know before every because i've been there several times i've only been to one i I saw pavement there maybe not before everyone but like anytime there's like a uh anytime it's orchestral or something like that like when i go see a uh like the john williams thing whatever like anytime there's an orchestra there we will all stand and they will play i don't think anybody sings but they will play the national anthem and i was just like oh i guess this is i thought this was just a sporting events thing but now that you mention it's like yeah, why is it a sporting events thing? <laughs> yeah, I never, I never thought it should be. Yeah, um, and it's especially weird uh, again to go back to me as a hockey fan, knowing that more than half of the people on the team aren't even American when they're playing yeah. like the American anthem. Uh, you know, the, the American national anthem. It's it always yeah. just seems like kind of a it seems kind of gross and, and a joke to me as someone who loves this country but also it's a little pavlovian to me i don't like it along those lines that just like we're starting to play this stand up take your hat off and if anybody's not doing that there's some kind of enemy yeah um, and just like oh this is playing so we all know what we have to do right yeah and just not really questioning as to why i think there's also different ways uh we really should get to the movies yeah um there are uh, i i love my country and i think there are different ways that people can love their country. I think some people who just see like you're saying any sort of any sort of break from protocol as Mm -hmm. disrespect. I feel like that's them loving their country the way a child loves a parent. And I feel like it should be the way around because Hmm. the, like the, we are the stewards of our, our government is a representative democracy. Yeah. And so we should be more willing to do, to have, tough love toward our country or, right. or, or go through some hard things and try to make our country better as opposed to the Pavlovian thing you're talking about, which feels like kind of reflexively, uh, unconditional and could be like yeah. saying like, you know, yeah, a, a child will love their parent, whether they're a good parent or a, yeah. you know, a drunken, abusive, abusive parent. I feel like we should love our country in the way that we should try be yeah. constantly be trying to make it better. Yeah. they, and so I remember years ago, um, Chris Rock was, was saying something in defense of President Obama, and he said, you know, he's kind of our boss, he's kind of our dad. And I was like, that is not correct. No, we're his boss. Uh, we're his boss, fucking A. Um, but uh, yeah, so now, David, let me ask you this. 
Okay. Can I go first? Because I have a transition. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Let's do okay. it. Uh, so you mentioned hockey. So I watched a documentary called Ice Guardians. Oh, I've heard about this. I haven't seen it. It's on Netflix. It's directed by Brett Harvey. And of course, I wouldn't have been that interested if I had not just watched Goon. Right. And it's a, it's a nice... You know, when, when you and I... Um, we often talk about the virtues of a shorter film, but what I will say is when it comes to documentaries, especially documentaries that are exploratory, mm-hmm. um, I like it to be like good and long. All right. And this one is like an hour 45. And Have you so, watched that Grateful Dead documentary? It's four hours long. No, <laughs> hang on. It has to be something I'm even vaguely interested in. Um, and it's just fascinating because, you know, I I went into Goon. Well, I came out of Goon with a lot of questions. Like the idea is like, why is this allowed? And then and there's like, oh, my, minor league is it? Is it called the minor league? Uh-huh, sure. Okay. Um, I mean, there's many minor leagues. I right. think it's sort of a blanket term for okay. a bunch of leagues that aren't the NHL, right? Um, and I just thought like, okay, well, maybe that's why it's allowed. And then in watching this documentary, it's like, no, this is like. And you hear about hockey fights, but it always struck me as the kind of thing like, oh, this happens occasionally, and then the ref has to break it up, and you know, and then you move on. No, that's like baseball. That's when that's where fights occasionally happen. It's a big deal when there's one or two a season or whatever. And I think that's why Goon seemed so outlandish to me, as I did not know that this was like, you know, that Liev Schreiber's character is known primarily for mm-hmm. this thing. Uh, and then, like, the phrase enforcer comes along. And it was so fascinating to just explore this phenomenon that you won't really find in any other sport the idea of the enforcer and just the guy who is willing to quite literally take it on the chin for <laughs> his teammates um and i think and they tell some interesting stories like um they talk about when wayne gretzky uh was starting in uh on a lower profile team that okay. i don't remember which one it is before he moved to the kings um that he uh he was you know the star player of course mm-hmm. But they also had a couple of really good enforcers, and so when then he was when he was brought over to the Kings, he said, "Okay, I'm bringing one of these guys with Martin me, Martin McSorley." Yeah, yeah. And just this idea, it's like he—I don't know if he ever put it this way, but it was sort of everyone kind of assumed, and he was basically saying, "Like, I'm not Wayne Gretzky without this mm-hmm. guy, and especially now that I'm a star, everyone's going to come at me, and I'm going to want someone in my in my corner." And I just found that so fascinating. Um, and the documentary is split up, you know, according to category. And it's it's a documentary made for someone like me okay. who has a vague idea of hockey. I've gone to a couple of hockey games. I do enjoy it, but I don't know that much about it. And so they they introduce these new you go deeper and deeper into the history of this, the mentality of it, the criticisms of it. Um, and it's just a it was just a very it's a well made. It's not a, an astonishing film or anything, yeah. but it's. And expose seems a little bit uh, sensationalistic, but it's just a very informative uh, documentary. I was I very happy I watched, and I think you would enjoy it. Although, frankly, to get I feel like you it. won't learn <laughs> anything. I've been meaning to get around to it. If you like hockey documentaries, I should recommend one from a few years ago called Red Army, which is about the Soviet team. That's right, yes. the Soviet team that the, that was beaten in Miracle. Yeah, uh, you know, it's their uh, their story of not just that that game is only a small part of it. Right, um, but Red Army is also a really good hockey uh, documentary. Okay. It, made, it made me want to watch a hockey game. I'll tell you that. Oh, good. Not yeah. even necessarily. I don't think I would. I think the fights would put me on edge. But um, well, there but aren't, actual, I don't know, uh, there aren't as many these days. Yeah, they definitely sure that's stress that. 
Um, yeah, I remember talking to a guy at, in, at a casino in Las Vegas um, this June, right after um, Ryan Reeves, who was a tough guy uh, on the Blues, got traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I was talking to a guy from Pittsburgh, and, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, we just had this this trade." He was like, "Yeah, we got we got an enforcer for Sid, Sid Cindy Crosby being mm-hmm. their star player." And I was like, "And I, I was like, yeah." In my head, I was like, "Yeah, sure, buddy. Like that's not." it doesn't really work that way anymore. Like Ryan Reeves can play hockey. You can't just be the guy who's out there, you know, uh, who can barely even skate and just out there to throw fists. It doesn't exactly work like that anymore. Anyway, where where there is a a nice expose. Cause yeah, it's interesting now that you're saying these names, like I've heard some of these names now, which is very Mm -hmm. exciting for me, but, um, but they do, um, the one expose part of it had to do with concussions and this idea that everyone, that not unlike football, there is a, a high, number of concussions every year um and some people it is uh not necessarily fatal but it is uh life altering and a lot of people just look at and they're like well obviously it's the fighting right how could it not be and right it yeah. is a, like five percentage of concussions come from fighting it has more to do with just the way the game has changed and how ha- and the audience demand for speed mm-hmm. and the idea that mm-hmm. people are just bashing into each other and it's it's quite disturbing to see that it's weird throughout the documentary you're seeing tons of people fight and it's just like man that looks uncomfortable um but then when you see like these guys get just smashed into the wall and then just fall and they mm-hmm. are out like it's genuinely disturbing um now i'm not sure when this was made um, so I don't know if it would have been 16. It came last year. Okay. Did they talk about John Scott at all? Um, cause not it, that it I probably wouldn't have been in time. So last last, not, um, not this past season, this season before, maybe, um, there was a thing where anyone fans, anyone could go online and vote for who they wanted to be in the, in the all, in the all-star game, mm-hmm. not from a selected group from the entire league. Yeah. And a couple of sort of prankish, uh, podcasters were like, it'd be funny if John Scott just like, Goon, you know, yeah. his enforcer, uh, got into the All-Star League, All-Star game. It became a thing. He got voted into the All-Star game, and the NHL was, like, trying to play it down, trying to, they even tried to, like, trade him to the minors, like, to keep it from happening, because they were like, this is a, you know, this is a mockery, like, this is yeah. people making fun of the sport, and it was actually the opposite, and John Scott at the All-Star game ended up being the most fun All-Star weekend ever, because it was essentially like you were talking about Wayne Gretzky saying about Martin mm-hmm. McSorley, it was basically a weekend long celebration of all these like star players and the type of guy yeah. that is like their, their wingman, you know? Yeah. And so he ended up being the star of the whole weekend and it was a very heartwarming and very fun all-star weekend. Yeah. It's, I, I think you would like the documentary. I liked it a lot. It was very informative and very entertaining. Okay. I watched a movie that was neither. Okay. Uh, you had watched this recently. I'd never seen someone recently cause you reviewed it for the website. Um, uh, I'd never seen it before, but there's been a lot of Stephen King adaptations this year. So I figured sure. I'd catch up with uh, Mark Lester's uh, Firestarter. Oh, yeah. Oh, what a snooze, <laughs> this movie. Yeah. It is not good. How and, How is like expo- how is Constant Explosions and George C. Scott playing a Native American boring? <laughs> how do you make yeah. that happen? Uh, and I'll say, like, um, I'll come back to more on this later, actually, uh, in a later movie. But Martin Sheen is good in everything. I think, yeah. like, and his, like, the first time that he sees her power, and he's, like, he's supposed to be this, like, sort of government, like, bureaucrat, and he's just, like, giddy. Like, yeah. he's like, hot dog, did you see that, or yeah. whatever? Uh, in a very Stephen King type of, <laughs> I don't know if he actually says hot dog, but it 
it's the kind that's of, about right. Yeah. Um, suddenly you your be dog like, whistle or whatever horse <laughs> yeah. shit he says. Um, somehow the movie just like comes to life all of a sudden in a way that it doesn't the rest of the time. And then I read your uh, review and I think you, you pinpointed um, the major problem with the movie, which is that the, which is a, a problem with the narrative, which is that nothing is ever a surprise in yeah. the movie. You know, everything two or three scenes before the main characters, it's, it's so devoid of suspense or tension yeah. and it's two full hours almost. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I, I think they really it, are just banking on explosions. And if, if Drew Barrymore hadn't gone on to be a star, would this movie be remembered at all? Or is it like mostly remembered as like, Hey, Drew Barrymore, like, yeah, she was cute in ET. Here she is like killing motherfuckers with fireballs. Maybe is that, it, it is could that be her good of, son. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, is that part of the reason you remember the movie is just that it's Drew Barrymore and Stephen King. I think it's a Stephen King adaptation and with, with other notable actors, several notable actors, Oscar winning actors in that film. Um, people that won Oscars before being in fighter, fire starter for God's sake. Um, so I think it would yeah. still be remembered, but I don't know anybody that actually views it favorably. No, it's not good. Um, and apparently Stephen King's not a fan either. And how um, could he be? Yeah. And I guess he, uh, opposed the casting of David Keith from the jump before, uh, I thought David Keith did a pretty good job. Uh, well, there's just not much there, but yeah. 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 I guess he's all right. Um, anyway, uh, what's next for you? Next for me is Denis Villeneuve's Blade Runner 2049, which I uh, wrote a long review of uh-huh. um, because, well, you know what? That's appropriate. It's a long yeah. movie and there's a lot to deal with, including some plot details, because uh, I forgot to forward you the email from the studio asking us not to. But it's not a demand. You didn't have to not reveal plot. And like, I felt right. kind of bad that you like had some plot details. And then I read like the LA weekly review, which gives away way more than oh, you really? did. Okay. And I was like, eh, we're fine. It makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. I only tried to give away as much as would allow me to talk about character, uh, and performance yeah. and that sort of thing. So, uh, it, it's great. It's a great movie in a lot awesome. of ways. It's absolutely gorgeous. I highly recommend seeing it in the theater if you can. Um, and it's not a guarantee it's going to be in theaters much longer because it's not doing very well yeah. financially. But do see it. It is unsurprisingly, it's uh, you know, it's Roger Deakins making a, a Blade Runner movie. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and that's the thing is like if the film made more money, I would say that okay, it's finally time for Deakins to get his Oscar, but maybe not. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the. As I said with Arrival, I feel like Denis Villeneuve, his, he was just meant for sci-fi, and we only just now realized it. And I think it absolutely works with uh, Blade Runner. Every element just feeds into itself. I think Hans Zimmer does some really good... And uh, Benjamin Walfish, whose name I see constantly, like he's... he. I see, like, I think he did the music for it. He did the music oh, okay. for a cure for wellness. Like every, everywhere I look, I'm seeing his name. Like he must be, I have a really good agent, but he's also, <laughs> he's also very talented. Um, so like they do a really good job of approximating like the Vangelis score while also doing their own thing. Oh, that's good. Um, I think that, and also if you want to look at it, like that could be a nice little microcosm of the film itself. It absolutely plays into the world created and the artistic choices created from the first film and it builds on them. It does not denigrate them, nor does it exploit them. It, it simply builds on them and expands on them. And that's, it's everything that a sequel should be. Um, 
it's not perfect. There's a couple things here and there that bother me, and you can read about those in my review. But by and large, I thought it was really, really effective. Best performance Harrison Ford's given in years. Um, and just, uh, yeah, I have, uh, film fans will love it. So check it out. Uh, all right. Next up for me, my next two are going to be rewatches. Okay. You'll, you'll notice a uh, trend developing here. After I watched Firestarter, I decided to uh, go ahead. Now, there's a movie Firestorm with yeah. Howie Long. <laughs> no, um, uh, I saw. I first saw Brian De Palma's Carrie maybe like 12 years ago. Okay. And I've been telling people ever since that uh, it's overrated. And I watched it again, and uh, I'm an idiot. Carrie's fucking great. Really? It's. Okay. I think it's uh, it, it's, um, and maybe it's like having seen Kimberly Pierce's remake, which is not bad. It's, it's you know, perfectly a compliment. Right. I don't know. Did you see it? Uh, no, it's, uh, you know, it, it's perfectly respectable. Um, but this one is, uh, I think it's, um, what's so amazing about it is that it's not really a horror movie for most of the time. There are some horror elements, but it is mostly this very sort of, sad teen like social drama yeah um that is so heartbreaking and uh sissy spacek is i mean uh it, it, she's as much as i love chloe grace moretz um in in the remake um she's uh uh just untouchable here um and and, and yeah so uh so raw and so uh relatable and sympathetic um and hmm. the, uh, I don't know, to a kid who got picked on. Yeah. Well, uh, I just, what I mean to say is that like one thing that I like about her performance is that she is sympathetic. No question about it. I don't know how relatable she is, but like I could see her being someone that viewers could find frustrating because she doesn't give you much, you know, she doesn't overplay the sympathy. Like there are times where like, if I feel like if you knew her socially, you'd be frustrated by her for not opening up more. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, I like that. I yeah, like no, that a that's lot. true. Yeah, that's true. And that's definitely in the book. Um, and I think it's, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It is in here, in here too. Um, but, uh, it's, I, I just feel like it's, it's this, it's a tragic movie that's kind of, I think it's all, it's very humanistic, but also kind of fatalistic at the same time, because mm-hmm. it's basically about a, you know, it's, it's less about the mean kids than it is about the couple of kids who try to do the right thing and, uh, it doesn't go well for them. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I want to talk about the final scene. I'm going to spoil, I don't know if you haven't seen Carrie, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a thing at the end that I think in, in rewatching, I think is one of the most brilliant scares in a movie ever, which, so you know, the thing, the thing yeah, I'm talking yeah. about. Again, I'm going to spoil it if you haven't seen it, so fast forward a little bit uh, if you don't want to know. But um, what's her name? Amy Ring's character. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, goes to visit the the house that has since you know burned down or whatever, right. collapsed on itself or whatever. And you've got this sort of dreamy sort of music, like not happy music, but sort of like you're moving toward a resolution. You know, there's something sort of melancholy maybe, um, but it's sweet, this yes. music, in a way. Um, and then she gets to the house and just see, there's just a pile of rubble with a little sign in it that says, you know, for sale. But then it also says, uh, Carrie white, uh, burn in hell, right? Carrie white burns in hell. I burns think. in hell. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Um, and then she walks into the fence and walks into the rubble and like, I'm not exactly sure when it happens. I have to go back and watch it, but suddenly like she's walking down mm-hmm. and you realize this rubble is not just a little pile. It's like a huge 
pit of black coal rubble and this little sign is a cross that's bigger than amy irving but the music doesn't change the music is still kind of pleasant you know what i mean yeah so like i feel like the dawn it means that this the dawning on you that this is like a dream or this is something's not right happens slower than it would because it's easing you in and then okay i've written about this before on the website i think but i'm i'm not opposed to jump scares yeah that's not what this is though, because I think a lot of times in horror movies, the scare gets, or, or, or the, the, the director and the DP sort of frame for the scare before it's there, mm-hmm. which is not a complaint. Like that actually is a useful technique because it creates tension and anxiety in the viewer because you're mm-hmm. seeing this empty spo- empty space in the screen and you know, something is meant to fill it up and you're just like on, you know, queasing on the edge of your seat waiting for it to happen. But yeah. again, that's not what he does here. The framing is always framed for Amy Irving's hand as she's yeah. putting down the flowers. <laughs> and then this hand Carrie's hand, uh, presumably comes out of nowhere to where it's like grabbed yeah. her before you quite even realize what's happened. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, it's less of a jump scare than it is like, it's like a sickening shock and yeah. I love it it's so, like a com- so much. It's a complete intrusion. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've, uh, we've never actually done a, uh, an episode about framing and how vital it is, but it's like one of my favorite things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and the idea it's like, and maybe not so much then, but certainly now we have an expectation of like, okay, this is, this is what a jump scare is going to look like. Let's all get ready. Um, and that one is like, no, 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 fuck you. You're not <laughs> yeah. ready for anything. Yeah. You might be a little creeped out, certainly, with that uh, dreamy music and stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah uh, we should also do an episode about Brian De Palma at some point, which would mean I need to see more of his films. But I've seen enough that I, I have an odd respect for him. Even when he makes yeah. a movie I don't like, I still enjoy it. I feel like there's some big ones that I'm missing. Yeah. Like um, Dress to Kill, is that him? That, yeah. I've never seen that. Nor have I. Yeah. I love Sisters. That's a really good one. Um, uh, you would need to see Body Double. That's like, oh, from a Hitchcock right. standpoint, like, right. that is it. It is okay. very overt. All right, what's next for you? Next for me? I don't actually know. Hang on. Um, oh, yes. Okay, there's a reason I forgot it. Um, <laughs> I uh, So I just got my movie pass, which means there's going to be a lot more of these. I, I hope I get mine soon. Oh, it took a month. It took a month. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It's been um, a couple weeks. But uh, I saw Michael Cuesta's American Assassin. Oh, yeah. I was excited to see this. As was I. Yeah. It's fine. Okay. It's, it has its moments. There, there are elements to it that I kind of like that, uh, you know, it is, it is a hard R uh, for language and violence. Okay. Um, there's an element to it that I, that I found risky. Like the fact that, you know, when it, when you're dealing with movies like this that are, that are a possible franchise, cause I know it's based on a book, but maybe a book series. I don't exactly remember, okay. but, um, you know, and there's like, oh, there's international intrigue and you feel like, like it happened with West Wing, but it also happened with other, with other movies and TV shows as well, where they'll make up the country that, that they are fighting against or whatever. Yeah. Like, um, Kumar, Kumar. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, whereas this one's like, nope, Iran. <laughs> and just like, and, and there's a moment like, well, there's political upheaval in Iran and they want to get a nuclear weapon. Can't, ha- can't let that happen. And, uh, but at the same time, it's also not super jingoistic because it also acknowledges that uh, these people make that the the American agents make huge mistakes, and when they do, worse things happen on an international level. And so, I like the maturity of that 
in concept mm-hmm. in execution, especially from a dialogue standpoint, it's about as run of the mill as you would expect. Um, I like Dylan O'Brien as an actor. I've liked him in the, the maze runner films. And then, uh, Michael Keaton is a special kind of, um, hard bitten so much so that it's like, Oh man, has Michael Keaton ever been in a David Mamet film? Cause I feel like he could have played huh. like that, yeah. that part in Spartan. It's a very similar type of role, but, um, but yeah, I was, I was happy I saw it, but it's, it's nothing particularly special. It's, it's sort of like a, a less glamorous born movie. Um, okay. But I don't know if you, if you like that kind of thing, maybe you'll like it. I tend to, I would, I would say it'd be a good airplane viewing, but this is not, I did rewatch John wick chapter two mm-hmm. on the airplane, uh, on an airplane recently. Um, this is not my movie cause I'm not okay. counting it because I don't count airplane movies because they're edited. I always feel like, was it edited? Oh yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, as someone who saw and relished every second of John wick chapter two, oh, okay. I know where, I know where it was edited. Yeah. There are a lot fewer shots of people getting shot directly in the you know brain pan sure. uh, or, or getting a pencil shelf through the throat or like, you know, someone's wrist actually opening and blood coming out. Fair enough. Um, no, not fair enough. Oh, okay. I'm an adult. No, <laughs> I'm saying, uh, I, I see your point. Yes. Like, don't you, I, I always feel whenever I watch a movie that's been like edited like that, I feel like insulted. Like, come on, I can handle it. The one that gets me is when, like when they edited, I remember as I was at my uncle's house many years ago and big Lebowski was playing on E and, uh, you know, they'd cut out a lot of the language. And I was like, who, who is this for now? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I recognize that there's always the possibility like a kid is going to just like kind of breeze through the the channels and like arrive there. But nonetheless, like not only am I an adult, but I'm also the intended audience. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't uh, like Uh, when someone, when someone, uh, if they were to show back to the future or ghostbusters, which has like, you know, language and stuff, but still is kind of for all intents and purposes, like for the family. Yeah. I get that a little bit more, but yeah, John wick is insanely violent. (laughs) Big Lebowski is insane. That's why you're watching. That's why you're watching it. Yes. Uh, And then I also watched on the plane. I watched a little bit like the first 40 minutes or so of shutter Island. Because remember, okay. I saw it when it came out, and I didn't think it was that great. I thought it was a little bit uh, overwrought. Yeah. Um, but now I'm wondering if maybe that is actually what makes it good. But what I hadn't done is I hadn't watched it knowing the twist. Oh, okay. Have you watched it knowing? The, have you rewatched it knowing the twist? I have. It yes. is fascinating. It is how much it's all there. Yeah. It's it, uh, it's in everything you can see it, yeah. and like people's reactions that seem mysterious in one way, like you know exactly why they're reacting that way. Yeah. Like who Dr. Sheehan is, uh, yeah. for instance. Um, but that one also had a really dumb, uh, where they're interviewing the patients, uh, slash prisoners, whatever. And the one woman who killed her husband is talking about her husband. And the line is something like, you know, he fucked everything that moved. Mm-hmm. And it said he fondled everything that moved. <laughs> like, okay. Still a creep. I don't know. It was worth killing the guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was like, Oh, these are nice curtains. Like that's, that's the vibe I get now. Right. Uh, okay. That wasn't my movie. My, my third and final movie here. Um, I had watched Carrie, a Stephen King adaptation. I hadn't originally liked. Okay. Turned, turned around on it. I was like, Hmm, let me check out another one that I haven't seen. And probably even longer that I didn't think was that great. The first time I watched it, I watched, uh, rewatched David Cronenberg's the dead zone. Okay. It's, it's not as good as Carrie. <laughs> Okay. It's not as bad as I remembered. It's pretty good. And I think, Oh, did you remember it as bad? Uh, yeah, I think I remembered it as being, well, it, it, and it is still like 
narratively wonky. Like yeah. the the way that like Tom's carrots character shows up and then that like that whole plot line is just done away with very soon. Then there's a, yeah. sudden, there's another time jump, which is weird. Yeah. Cause there's the one time jump when he's in a coma for five years. That's part of the premise. But sure. then after he, he gets shot, there's a weird other one where it's like, Oh, I guess Tom scared not in this movie anymore. And he's like moved back in with his dad and <laughs> his mom has died. Like all this stuff, it just suddenly happens. It is a bit awkward, but I also think what I didn't get 20, you know, probably almost 20 years ago. Um, I think I had problems with how big Christopher Walken Walken's performances in the yeah. movie. And I think rewatching it now, I'm like, Oh, I was just unsophisticated. I didn't realize what he's doing yeah. and that this is part of what's uh, so, so great about his performance. I actually think he's what makes the movie now. Whereas before he was what like kept me from finding a way in. Um, hmm. Because when he's like, when he yells at Tom Skerritt, like, and, yeah. you know what God did to me? <laughs> He skipped a tanker down the highway or something like yeah. that. Like, um, uh, yeah, uh, I, I didn't like that at first. And now I, it's yeah. like my favorite stuff in the movie. But again, I'll say what I said about Firestarter. Martin Sheen can't not be great. Yeah. Like there's a scene um, between um, uh, Chris Walken and then the, 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 the rich guy who hires him to tutor his son. I don't know right. what's last time you saw it. You remember this? Um that they're talking and Martin Sheen's on the TV, like a campaign yeah. ad and Martin Sheen steals the scene like practically in the background on the TV. Yeah. He's so great. He's also, you know, I think, uh, that character is Trump in a lot of ways, uh, in his sort of like, um, uh, populist pandering, you know, yeah. and like pandering to that sort of populist anger and saying, we're going to bring your factory jobs back, you know, yeah. but also like, I think, um, Donald Trump is completely, I don't think there's any, like th- there's no part where he drops. Do you remember the, um, Saturday night live sketch about Ronald Reagan where like after yeah, the yeah. cameras are gone and he's like a wily like strategist or whatever. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's any part where Donald Trump like drops it and like is no. hand wringingly evil the way that Martin Sheen is. No, no. Um, yeah, he just is awful. Yeah. And, and it's just, and it's all on the surface. Like yeah. whatever's in his mind, like yeah. there's no, like even savoring evil implies a certain degree of depth. Mm-hmm. Like you understand yeah. that, Oh, things weren't always going my way. <laughs> uh, now they are. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. Whereas Trump, it's a, it's very much in the, in the moment. He yeah. lives in the moment, but not in a good way. Um, yeah. So, uh, verdict on my three Stephen King adaptations, yeah. fire, fire starter, thumbs down. Yeah. Carry thumbs up, thumbs way up, way up. Dead zone thumbs a little bit more than sideways, a little bit up. Sure. It's yeah. Again, it's better than I thought. Um, and it does have at least one real Cronenberg moment that I had forgotten. And remember Christopher Walken helps Tom Skerritt solve this serial murders in Castle Rock. Right. Uh, And it turns out the murderer is the deputy. And when they go to confront the the deputy, I can't remember. Okay. But the deputy commits suicide do you remember how he commits suicide? I do not. It's awful. He takes basically a pair of like bathroom, like scissors and you would use to like clip your, you know, nose hairs or beard mm-hmm. or whatever and sticks them so that are pointed up. And then he puts his hand behind the head, his head and shoves his open mouth down on the scissors. <laughs> so when they come in, the scissors are stuck in his throat and he's bleeding out in the bathtub. It's so, so Cronenberg. So look, here's the thing. As someone who is, uh, who deals with depression and I've been <laughs> suicidal, I, thankfully, I've never been to the point where it's like, 
look, there's only one way we got to do this. <laughs> and that is the most convoluted and painful way yeah. and not really well, a guarantee it's going to work yeah. by the way. You're not a murderous psychopath though. That's he had this. That's true. In addition to his uh, suicidal ideation and then action. Right. He was also the murderous psychopath. I guess it's safe to say he has different sensibilities than most. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Let's move to TV real quick. Um, I just want to talk about some things that are three comedies that are back. Okay. Um, one of them is the last man on earth, which, um, uh, what, what season are they in now? Four? Four. Yeah. Okay. And they have done a thing that I've only just realized three, three, premieres in because it's not in the it's in every season premiere other than the pilot mm-hmm. where they introduce a big name actor only to immediately kill him okay and it's become a running joke and it, only, it took me three times to realize like oh this is what they're going to keep on doing yeah um i don't know if you know if i can spoil it go in, ahead in the in the first one when, when will uh, will forte and and uh kristen shaw come back to the camp they've moved to Malibu and they found this rich guy played by Will Ferrell and uh, Will Ferrell's like having to sing along with him on the beach and then Kristen Schaal runs out and Will Ferrell immediately has a heart attack <laughs> and dies on the beach. Um, and then in the second, um, John Hamm, or okay. what's funny is January Jones shoots an intruder right in the chest. They pull off his mask, his helmet or whatever, and it's John Hamm dying, which is a funny yeah. thing. Uh, and then <laughs> this one, <laughs> Um, they introduce again, this is a bit of a spoiler, but like the whole thing is they need to get away from, there's like nuclear meltdowns. So they need to get away from America and go out to sea. Hmm. So they're on a yacht. Uh, and Kristen Wiig shows up at the, this is at the end of the last one. Kristen Wiig right. shows up. Um, and we knew she was coming. So this time he's, she shows up and she's like, okay, I'd like to meet you, uh, introduce you to my friend that I've met, uh, you know, rear admiral, like a guy who's perfect to, 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 to steer the ship. And Jack Black walks out and then immediately gets shot. <laughs> And they've done it three years in a row, and it took me all this time to realize, like, oh, this is what they're going to do. <laughs> That's funny. He, like, walks, he steps in, and he's like, she's a beautiful boat. Can't wait to take a pool. <laughs> and he's even wearing, like, the like captain's hat and, like, the blue blazer thing. It's so perfect. That's great. Um, I'm such anyway. a sucker for that, yeah. for just, like, pointless <laughs> violence. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway, uh, but yeah, uh, it's been it's two episodes in. Um, Kristen Wiig, I guess, is sticking around. Um, Chris Elliott, maybe, is sticking around. He showed up. He might okay. be sticking around, too. Sorry, I'm still laughing. Yeah, it's very <laughs> Because I'm picturing the captain's hat and the blue blazer and just, like, this guy just coming out and optimistic as hell and then yeah. out. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so uh, I'm glad to have Last Man on Earth back. I liked it as a show that keeps sort of... Uh, changing you know there's mm-hmm. we've talked about shows that keep dragging themselves back to their yeah. uh, status quo um and i like that this show keeps saying like well we can't live here anymore because nuclear reactors all yeah. over the country are melting down we need to go uh somewhere else um and and then you know just reset the the show um and the characters change they age there are children on the show now nice. because people have had children uh, yeah. and also they found a kid um mm-hmm. Uh, I like that the show is changing and is also still weird and, and funny. Uh, what's, what's up? What's first for you? Uh, Kirby enthusiasm. Oh, that's one of mine too. I, I figured, knock one out here. I figured so have you watched both episodes? I have. Okay, good. Because um, the first one I think, eh, hit or miss. And that's actually what I felt about the, about the second one. Um, except that when it hits, it hits really well. And to me, the absolute highlight of 
both shows, uh, both episodes, and maybe a highlight for the series for me. Um, in the second episode, uh, Larry realizes a, a great way to distract people, uh-huh. and that is to have Leon try to open a jar of pickles in the middle of a hotel lobby, and everyone realizes like they want to be the hero, yeah. so they want to be the one that that opens the pickles. And so, and like, and Larry goes, so there's the distraction. Larry goes to like do what he's doing, but then he walks by (laughs) and like looks and he came up with the distraction, but diversion, pardon me. Uh, and even he can't resist. And eventually he walks over it, opens the pickles. He's the hero. And he immediately gets caught because he's trying to hide from someone. That idea that this is, there's such a lure that he forgets. Oh, I love it so much. Well, the thing I laughed hard at, hardest at was Leon pretending to open a pickle <laughs> jar to say that he needed a fake name. Yes. And so yes. Larry gave him a name from the 1919 White Sox, and he said, no, give me, you know, that's not a, a black guy name. Yeah. And so he gives him the name Chappie Johnson. Yeah. Johnson, no T. Yeah. And he says, "That's a, I like that name. That's a black man name. <laughs> and then he walks in and immediately goes, I'm Chappie Johnston. I can't <laughs> open this pickle jar. <laughs> uh, that was like... So my two biggest laughs in the episode were in the second episode were that and then the opposite, a very quiet laugh Mm -hmm. when Larry is telling Funkhauser that he knows someone who could help his nephew with his problem, you know, his his sex problem. And and Mark Funkhauser is like, oh, what does she do? She's a... She's a prostitute. <laughs> very simple and understated. The two of them having the the masturbation discussion <laughs> and the throwaway line that Larry says, like, where he goes, well, can he use his, his left hand? And Funkhauser's like, can you? He goes, no, nobody can. Yeah. And just like that, it's it's so perfect. Um, the first one I thought was a bit um, uh, uh, uneven. I, I feel like I feel like Larry, like, not getting lesbian weddings i feel like seems like i feel like that's it's almost like a spec that someone else came up with for a sure. enthusiasm as an episode it seems like sure. a little too on the nose yeah you know um and i didn't think there was uh it, the, the the improvisation with the lesbian couple didn't go that well just right. like the constantly using the word ajar like that seemed like yeah See, yeah, that was a, that was a that was a weird beat to play within that scene. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, um, no, but the best part uh, of the first episode was um, well, I mean, all, all the Leon stuff is always good. Sure, but the the Richard Lewis scene uh, it was so funny. I've I've gone back and watched uh, episodes uh, uh-huh. in the last couple of weeks, and I think I've come to love the Richard Lewis character uh-huh. because he's actually the poor guy's trying uh-huh. and he's just so put upon like even though he's just as sarcastic and self-centered as the others but like because he's like this recovering alcoholic there's a certain type of like earnestness to him and a yearning to connect with people and then he just keeps getting screwed over and uh yeah it's i love every every uh side story of of his um, yeah. Um, okay. Um, and finally, the other thing I was going to talk about is modern family. It's back. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Survivor, uh, this season, it's interesting. And I've been asking friends of mine to see it, who, who also like the show. I've been asking them because like this season, I can't tell if it's more romance based, that there are a lot more like showmances that are kicking in right now. And everybody's constantly talking about everybody else's attractiveness. And I just had this thought of like, is this a 
don't know. Like, are they, are they trying to steer into like the overt sexuality uh, of having a bunch of people that are scantily clad on Island? Like, are they mm-hmm. trying to steer into that this time? Cause like having watched now every season, cause I finally watched season 11 over the summer, but um, having now watched every season, like this is the first one where I'm like, Oh, this seems really overt. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I think it's an interesting beat for CBS to play.